From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. First of all, a thank you to Victor Vigiani for sitting in last week while I enjoyed some Thanksgiving dinner with uh, my family back in uh, Brantford, Ontario. Uh, Brantford, not to be confused with Bradford, Pennsylvania, uh, our new affiliate, WESB News Radio 1490, Bradford, Pennsylvania, uh, which is, I believe, in the northern part of the state, just about maybe an hour's drive south of Buffalo, New York. So, uh, News Radio 1490, welcome aboard. Glad to be uh, a part of WESB. That's uh, number 25, our 25th uh, U.S. affiliate. I tell you, what a, a memorable evening it has been already, and we haven't even started the show, or barely we've started the show. I walk in, not that, that you need to hear my troubles, <laughs> Lord, <laughs> the world has enough of its own. However, I just thought you'd find this somewhat, I don't know, amusing. Um, so at the first, uh, I have my routine, right? First thing I do is I, uh, I, 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 I walk in the door and I go into the mailroom, which is just off the lobby. And I've got some interesting mail to share with you, uh, to say the least, a little bit later if we have time. Uh, then I head into the kitchen to get my uh, my cup of uh, green tea, and I usually grab a cup of coffee for uh, George Junescu, who is hosting the program that precedes mine, Big Band Sunday Night, here on our flagship station, AM740. The coffee machine is on the fritz, not working, not no lights, no doodads, nothing flashing. You know, tried to replug it in. Nothing would work. Anyway, so no tea, no coffee. Fine. Okay, I can live with that. So then I'm walking down to the studio, my next stop. And what do I hear behind me? Nothing that I expected to hear. Grrr. Just, uh, yeah, just like that. Grrr. So <laughs> I turn around slowly. And I don't know, I, I was flashing back a couple of weeks ago, I was watching Clash of the Titans with the boys, and uh, I remember that scene when Pericles is trying to get into Medusa's lair, and he's attacked by this three-headed dog. I don't know, I had this vision. I turned around, and sure enough, there's this mangy-looking dog. He has a collar, and he's slowly walking towards me, and his tail ain't wagging. Just grrr, and I'm thinking, what the heck is going on here? This is supposed to happen in some back alley, but not in the halls of Zuma Radio. So, you know, I'm trying to stay calm, and I'm saying, I'm talking to the dog like an idiot. I'm saying, and, oh, aren't you a cute little puppy? Who do you belong to? While I'm backing away slowly, and grrr. So anyway, finally, someone pops out of a studio, uh, a gentleman here I've never met before, works here in the building somewhere, grabbed the dog by the collar and said, and was very apologetic and very uh, uh, embarrassed and said, I'm sorry, I'm working here. I had the dog in the studio. He got out. I apologize anyway. So here I am, uh, barely, almost torn limb from limb. You see what obstacles I have to go through just to get to the studio to deliver the truth to you each and every night? All right. Welcome to the program. Uh, listen, let's just jump right in, shall we? Uh, enough about me. Let's talk about life out there, because it's, uh, you know, it's pretty gloomy. Uh, let's take a look backstage in the Global Theater, as we do from time to time, with our good friend, a political scientist specializing in the philosophy of law and constitutional theory, and of course, the editor and publisher of a very important news analysis service, a weekly news analysis service called World Affairs Brief, which is dedicated to providing an understanding of the uh, the secret or hidden Actions behind world leaders. Joel Skousen joins us. How are you, my friend? 
It's fine, Richard. It's good to be with you. Good to have you aboard. Listen, uh, you know, we, we, we've just gone through this whole debt ceiling debacle. It's the song that never ends. Of course, they, again, kick the can down the road. And we'll, we'll revisit that in a moment. But with, with all of this, uh, you know, talk about the debt, the one big story that has sort of uh, been silenced is Syria. And you addressed that in your recent edition of World Affairs Brief. What's going on with Syria? Well, this is a rare occurrence that has happened is when the globalist juggernaut for war, which was clearly heading steamroller-type you know, juggernaut heading for Syria, everybody knew that the U.S. was bent on attacking Syria. Everything was on schedule. They were just looking for the right provocation. They had it in the falsification of a chemical weapons attack um, near Damascus, and it was falsified. Uh, and everybody, nobody knew how to stop it, except that Secretary of State John Kerry was in London giving a press conference, and a reporter just said, hey, is there anything Syria can do to stop this? Meaning, it looks like you're just hell-bent on going in there. Is there anything Syria can do? Oh, yeah, they could give up their chemical weapons, but they're never going to do that, you know, and that would stop it. And, boy, I'll tell you, the Russians jumped on it. We accept and Syria jumped on it, we accept, and they were stuck. And I'll tell you, there was hell to pay for Kerry at the White House for loose lips there. And I'm sure he, I'm, I'm surprised he survived that, actually. That was a yeah, major blunder. Uh, I was a, I was amateur know, hour. You know, absolute puppets like that, they're useful idiots, are, are, are believe it or not, are rare. And, and they would have had a lot of egg on their face had they dumped Kerry over that. They had to maintain appearances, and that's why he stayed on. But clearly he's been damaged in their eyes by this. And they've been scrambling ever since. They went next to the U.N. and tried to say, I want a war resolution so that if there's any glitch whatsoever in this uh, agreement, that we can go to war without any further resolution. And they wouldn't buy it. The Russians wouldn't buy it. They threatened to veto. So they didn't get that. And so what happens this week is that Kerry comes up and says, we have to have an urgent peace agreement. We require that the Syrian opposition set up a, tra- a transition government here. We're going to force the Syrian government to come in and, and negotiate with this transition government. And for all of a sudden, everyone's saying, wait a minute, we're in the middle of a chemical weapons decommissioning deal here, which is going to take a, a years, and you're now demanding you know, an instantaneous peace conference. Uh, and what's been going on, of course, is that the Syrian opposition has fallen apart. Uh, they've got factional infighting. Uh, the Syrian army is moving against them, and, and basically the Syrian opposition hasn't made any progress uh, since this. And they were actually losing the war even before this. That's why the U.S. had to engender a, a falsified chemical weapons uh, strike by Syria against their own people, which was ludicrous. But, Joel Skousen with us, editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief. And you talk about the Syrian opposition, which is largely made up of insurgents from outside the country and, of course, an element of al-Qaeda, all being propped up by the U.S., NATO, and their Arab allies. That's right, and made up also of those that were malcontents within the army, the corrupt, the other people. They said, eh, this is our chance to get back to Assad and and the other powers that be in Syria, and so they joined. And Assad was very open in an interview with Der Spiegel about we were actually glad to get rid of those people, and a lot of those people are dying because they're fighting for the opposition, but they were the corrupt people, and they said, you know, we have problems with them, and a lot of the mistakes that were made by Syria is not on my orders, but because these particular people went off the reservation and killed some civilians and did some other damage, and, uh, you know, that gets blamed on us. 
I recently saw online on YouTube a series of interviews that President Bashir al-Assad of Syria did with the Western press, including Charlie Rose. And when you listen to Assad speak, and he speaks English quite well, he sounds like a statesman. I'm not that naive. He has to rule with an iron fist there. He's not atypical of leaders in the Middle East, strong men, but he's certainly no crazed dictator. One thing that jumped out at me immediately was that he said that back in the early 2000s, he had committed Syria at the UN to get rid of all of their weapons of mass destruction, which included chemical weapons, although they didn't openly admit they had chemical weapons for, for reasons of national security. So the idea of getting rid of those was his originally. Let me just clarify and give you my opinion of Assad. Now remember, Syria, like all these Middle Eastern is ruled by a lot of strong people. They aren't necessarily the president. Now his father was a strong man ruler. And he's the one who set up the system. There was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of uh, uh, dealing with the West and Western intelligence services. They did a lot of nasty things. They did rule with an iron hand. Assad is Western-educated, medical-educated. He's a much softer individual. He inherited the power system his father established. And what happens is, in Syria, he's having to deal with the powers that be, basically. And he's having, you know, he inherited, he's got to be the head of state, trying to, but he realized there is only so much that I can change in that. If he himself, he himself would rather, much rather be a, a Democrat, he would much rather be fully Democratic, like without the power structure, without the secret police, without those types of things. That's his preference. So there is a difference between he and his father. And that's why he comes up so rational, because he is. But he is caught between a rock and a hard spot. I've, you know, inherited this position. I've got, you know, some really strong people. There are some bad things that go on in the government, and I only have certain limitations of what I can change at any one time. So then the question is, uh, uh, why can't the United States, why can't they, why won't they work with Assad? There was a a, a picture that was released online uh, not too long ago, which showed uh, then Senator John Kerry and his wife having dinner with um, um, Assad and his wife, um, you know, in a, uh, it wasn't, didn't look like a working dinner. It looked like a very social kind of cordial event. Uh, and then the next thing we know, you know, uh, Kerry is calling Assad some bloodthirsty, you know, tin pot dictator. So what, what happened and, and why do they want Assad out so badly? Well, it isn't because of Assad. It has nothing to do with Assad. The reason is they want Syria to, they want the old guard destroyed in Syria that is underneath Assad, and Assad is merely the figurehead that they can paint. And they're having a difficult time painting him as the dictator because he isn't that, and, and Kerry knows that. Everybody who deals with Assad knows that this guy isn't a dictator. Even when you read the Der Spiegel interview that I talked about in, in the World Affairs Brief, it's very obvious these guys, these guys come in there from Germany with an axe to grind, and they are just... They're not neutral at all. You're a dictator. You're this and that. You've killed people. And I said, wait a minute. Where's the evidence of that? You know, you know, he defends himself very, very well in this Der Spiegel. And they come out looking just like they are hatchet men trying to uh, crucify the guy. And he just won't have anything of it. <laughs> it's just an amazing defense. That's why the U.S. media uh, won't put much of a sod on television. I mean, Charlie Rose made a big mistake. He came out looking very bad, very aggressive in this interview. And, and Assad came out looking uh, 
you know, like the reasonable person. But here's what they're after. Just let me jump in here, Joe, because we've, uh, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll continue to talk about Syria. We'll talk about the U.S. debt ceiling debacle and what it means for the rest of the world and whether the U.S. dollar will lose its world reserve currency uh, and much more. Joel Skousen from World Affairs Brief right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. And seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Orange is kind of scrabbling around backstage in the Global Theater. Uh, thank God Joel Skousen brought his flashlight. He's the uh, publishes, uh, publisher and editor of World Affairs Brief, a uh, weekly news analysis service uh, dedicated to providing an understanding of the secret uh, or hidden actions of government leaders. And Joel, how can people subscribe? Well, they can go to worldaffairsbrief.com, and there's a big subscribe button. They can see a synopsis of the current brief, and then get a free sample copy before they subscribe by simply emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. And there's plenty of free things to read on the website as well. And when they subscribe, they get access to all 20 years of the archives. 20 years. Wow, that's quite an accomplishment. Congratulations. And I've, I've, I've linked up to your site on, uh, on, uh, at richardserrett.com. They just go to the homepage and under guest, just click on Joel Skousen. That'll take you right there. So subscribing is easy as one, two, three. We were talking about, uh, Syria and it's been quiet there, uh, lately. Uh, Syria has been very cooperative in, in this long-term decommissioning of all their chemical weapons. Uh, and so the question remains, given all that, uh, why why do they want uh, Assad out, and why do they seem to be ready to start resuming their, their saber-rattling? Well, the, the main target is Iran, because Iran is the only Muslim nation in, in the region, really, that is developing its own indigenous weapon systems. And for years, ever since World War One, the, the Ottoman Empire was in decline, and the British came in and started, and Germans started, I'm sorry, the Germans started to arm the Ottomans, and the British started to arm the Arabs. The Arabs have been cannon fodder for the East and the West, basically trying to use them and misuse them and uh, create a lot of bad blood. But as long as they have all their weapons supplied from outside, either from the West or the East, the Muslims are cannon fodder. They're just tools to be used in this globalist uh, hegemonic battle that we're experiencing. Iran's trying to break that mold. Iran's trying to have their own indigenous weapon system. They've got enough oil and money to do it. They've made a lot of strides. That's why they're targeted for the takedown. And I think they are trying to create nuclear weapons. If, if, if I knew that the globalists had me in their sights, you know, I'd probably want, you know, the best weapons that were out there too as a de- deterrence. But what is happening is that even though Iran is the target, Syria has the highest retaliatory capacity against Israel. Israel has been tasked ever since 2004 by the globalists in a meeting in London to take out Iran. And they have not been able to do it. They've not been able to provoke Iran into a sufficient excuse to attack. But Israel is now giving all the signals that they're getting ready to attack Iran, and I think that's what's related to Kerry's uh, increased saber-rattling and demands for a peace conference, because basically they're going to put down conditions that Assad cannot accept. They're going to show him as recalcitrant. They're going to try to whip up public opinion against against him in some way, try to um, induce either Assad or someone to, uh, you know, into 
justifying military intervention. They may be able to control Syria by the virtue of the fact they have all these people in there doing weapons uh, and decommissioning. Uh, but Assad still has a tremendous amount of firepower. He's got over a thousand Scud missiles with conventional warheads. He can play mincemeat with their uh, Iron Dome anti-missile system. You just can't stop, you know, more than about ten missiles at a time. And they are capable of launching salvos of a thousand. Combined with Hezbollah, with their thousands of smaller rockets, this could be a real tough thing. That's why Syria, uh, Syria has to go down. But I'll tell you, frankly, it's going to be a bloodbath in Syria if they let that those opposition jihadists go in there. They've got a grudge match. They have shown already. They've beheaded people. They've drank their blood, eaten heart. You know, these people are ruthless, and the U.S. is going to be totally responsible. We're bringing in the most ruthless bloodbath to Syria, and it's no wonder that the people in Damascus are just really fearful and, and hateful of the United States uh, for, you know, financing this future bloodbath. And I don't think it's going to turn out well for Syria. Well, uh, Senator uh, Rand Paul uh, has has talked openly about uh, the fact that the United States or the the, the Obama administration is backing Al Qaeda. Uh, a few others have, have talked about it, but why isn't the mainstream media all over this? I mean, this, to me, uh, you know, for those who believe Al-Qaeda was responsible for, for 9-11, I mean, why can't people seem to connect the dots? You know, here they're supposed to be, you know, the sworn enemy of the United States, and, and yet here they are supporting Al-Qaeda in Syria. Well, you know, if I have to be frank, and I, it's hard to make these statements without all the backup information, but I, I make them anyway, but... The United States government controls al-Qaeda at the top. It's a CIA creation ever since the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. It's financed through Saudi Saudi Arabia and now Qatar. And these you know, Arab countries that are aligned with this global agenda are providing the funds. Uh, and most of the weapons and funds coming into Syria are through Saudi Arabia and Qatar. And so... You know, the United States is playing both sides, and that doesn't mean that all Al-Qaeda people are are understanding, or even a few are understanding, that the CIA, through the ISI or the Saudis, are the ones who provide, you know, our money and that ultimately control us. Uh, like any terrorist organization, they hire a lot of bad guys, and those bad guys don't know who's controlling the top. So it's a very convoluted, very complex thing to understand when you talk about our government both fights a drug war and energizes and pays for and controls a drug pipeline, a major drug pipeline. The U.S. fights terrorism on one side and controls and uses terrorism for false flag operations. But I'll be very clear, 9-11 was not pulled off by al-Qaeda. Those buildings were brought down by demolition, controlled demolition. This was a U.S. operation, a black operation from beginning to end. And I've got the proof for it. I'm putting out a documentary next year on the history of conspiratorial power and uh, from 1900 through the present. It's going to be a phenomenal synopsis of all of these things with enough backup evidence to provide proof for every reasonable people to understand what's going on. Well, we can look forward to that, and uh, we'll definitely have you back on to discuss that in uh, at, at full uh uh, at full length. Now, let's uh, let's shift from Syria and uh, talk about, uh, you know, yes, the United States uh, averted uh, default, supposedly, although I don't necessarily believe that that would have been the case, but they, uh, you know, this debt ceiling, 
they've extended that. So, so now the, uh, the U.S. debt ceiling has been raised to what? $17 trillion. I was watching, uh, uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, a guy that I, I have a lot of time for on, uh, on Fox, uh, talking about the debt ceiling and really put it into perspective for me. He said that back in, uh, at the, at the, uh, I believe it was 1917, President Woodrow Wilson, they borrowed $30 billion to pay for the, uh, the war effort during World War I, and they still haven't paid one penny of that back, uh, to put it in perspective. That's the kind of you know, uh, uh, financial um, uh, mismanagement we have in the United States. But w- what's really at stake here for the rest of the world? This constant kicking the can down you know, the, the, ro- the road, never dealing with the, the serious debt problem, $17 trillion, But if you look at unfunded liabilities... You're, and if 100, you, $121 trillion. Then you include the state debt and, and consumer debt. You're looking at probably close to $200 trillion. Yeah. But let me understand. Let me, first of all, explain philosophically. You have to understand why this debt problem is never going away. This is the way in which you reduce political resistance to unpopular programs, is that you don't tax them for it. You simply deficit spend. Politicians love deficit spending. If we taxed people for the war in Afghanistan and gave them a bill for $5,000 a year for every man, woman, and child in the country, there would be a rebellion, steps of Congress demanding to stop. If you gave them a bill for $1,000 for foreign aid, there would be a rebellion. You see, these things are popular as long as you don't tax people, as long as they don't have to pay the, the pain, and that's why we never intend to pay them off. This is something that's just going to roll forward until it, re- it reaches a crisis, and that ticking time bomb is somewhere around 2028 right now, where you don't have enough tax money to pay for the interest on the debt, then you're technically bankrupt. But I'm here to tell you they plan to give us a third world war before then, and that's going to give them cover. The whole thing about it, uh, the threat of an economic collapse, the dollar using its, its reserve currency is bogus, and so is the concept that they put out in the press about Come this Thursday, the U.S. will not be able to pay its obligations. That is baloney. They had enough money. They were nowhere near default. What they would have, you know, obviously had to make some choices. And this is the problem in the United States is that Congress was given the purse strings. The House of Representatives in particular being closest to representatives of the people. But the president's given the power to implement what Congress and basically they should be impeaching this president for not spending the money according to how Congress has dictated, because Congress has the power to dictate. But they so destroyed the impeachment process during the Clinton impeachment, they so made a laughingstock that nobody wants to go through the debt. And that's what happened with the debt ceiling crisis this time, which I covered in the World Affairs Brief. They actually, and Boehner was uh, House Speaker, John Boehner is responsible for the strategy. He's not a Tea Party conservative. He's not even a conservative. He is a globalist. He works for the other side. But he played along with the Tea Party conservatives that he was going to fight Obamacare and he was going to do all this. And they just rallied right thought, hey, he's doing a great job for us. And then he sabotaged it. He walk, walked away from this thing after he bloodied the conservatives. He didn't rebut any of the arguments on television. He made an agreement with Obama that he wouldn't criticize each other which only accrued to the favor of Obama because your only defense as Republicans was to say how Obama didn't have to shut down these things to inconvenience people. He was purposely inconvenienced. And so they walked away with nothing and so embittered the nation about it that they will have no political capital to be able to 
do a debt crisis thing again in January when it runs out again. They're just simply going to be set up to capitulate because everyone will say, we, you can't put us through this debt crisis. You can't put us through a government shutdown again. It wasn't a shutdown. There was 83% of the government was operating normally, but the part that was shut down needed to be shut down in large part. A lot of these bureaucrats that are totally unconstitutional agencies need to go away. But here's how I would have handled if I were ahead of the republic. I would say, we have an unsolvable debt problem here that is, we're not going to default because we refuse to uh, uh, extend the debt limit. We're going to default if we let the debt limit go higher. That's what guarantees default. The only thing to stop default is to stop deficit spending right now. And so if I were a leader of Congress, I'd say, what we're going to do, we're never going to raise the debt ceiling again, ever. So get used to it. We are going to hold the line. As of today, we have a balanced budget amendment. You cannot spend more than what you have. And it doesn't take two-thirds to pass it. We have the law of the books right now on the debt ceiling limit, and it only takes 51% to maintain it. You see what a, a gem they had in their fist, and Boehner gave it away without any concessions, but without I, any concessions, and literally poisoned the waters so that nobody wants to go through it again. They've lost all power to stop this debt ceiling from eventually going to default. But and I, I don't see them ever you know, passing that type of legislation because when you've got almost 50% now, I think it's it's almost on the brink of 50% of Americans who are receiving some sort of government subsidy. Uh, what is it now? One in six Americans are on green on green stamps, food 40, stamps. 40 million, 43 million on, on food stamps and 100 million people, and there's a lot of overlap though, 100 million people have some type of benefit from government, whether it's, you know, subsidized loans or subsidized this and that. But it's, it's still not a majority, but uh, it's, there's, there's a majority of voters have sympathy with these types of benefits because they don't have to pay for it. Exactly. They're being paid for with deficit spending. That's the, it's the politician's dream is to be able to deficit spend, and the Republicans had in their hand, still have in their hand, the power to say no more, we're simply not going to pass it. But when is, uh, when this perception... Sorry, yeah. go ahead, Joel. But they need to be clear and say, now we are authorizing enough government and we're authorizing money for these programs. And if he doesn't do it, look to the president. Don't ever come back to us and say, open the government. We've given enough money for him, money for him to open the essential parts of government. Look to the president. He's the one. And we'll impeach him. That's what they should say. But, of course... Both political parties, including the Republicans, are controlled by this powerful secret combination of power that controls our government, and that's why we don't get change. We have wolves in sheep clothing, like John Boehner standing up there pretending to be a conservative, and he was intending to sabotage this thing at all. And, and, and like in lockstep, the media is now saying, no more, we can never do this again. Jack Lew, Treasury Secretary, we can never allow this to happen again. The New York Times, we can never ha- let this happen again. Do you see how they've set us up so the Republicans won't dare shut down the government? Joel Skousen, editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief. Uh, we'll take a quick time out, come back. Uh, can you hang in for another segment, Joel? Yes, I can. Terrific, because I do want to talk, uh, if, if time permits, I want to talk about something you mentioned in your last uh, brief, and that was this horrible situation that occurred in on uh, Capitol Hill last month, this uh, emotionally distraught um, woman, yes. a mother of a, yes. a, a, a small child, 
right. shot by uh, Washington police, and we'll uh, we'll talk about some of the troubling, lingering questions that remain surrounding that fatal shooting. Back with more of my conversation with Joel Skousen. Stay with us. Afraid of the Dark, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief, stays with us as we poke around backstage in the Global Theater. Uh, earlier this month, of course, this horrible uh, tragedy, a, uh, an emotionally distraught woman suffering uh, from postpartum depression, it would appear, uh, tried to crash through the, uh, the gates at the, uh, the White House and was eventually shot and killed. Uh, by police uh, while her one-year-old baby daughter was in the car. And uh, I believe she was just buried the other day. Uh, Family finally laid her to rest. I'm not sure what the status of the child is. I believe she was placed with children's aid at one point. Although, uh, you know, certainly, you know, a support system there, the the, um, the mother, I believe, came from a a pretty good family. And she has, you know, her her parents and others are willing to take the child. Joel, what, what is the latest on this horrible story? Well, you know, you can understand, initially at least, why police would be concerned about a car. Uh, basically, she didn't get to the actual gates of the White House. She got to the foregate where they checked credentials, et cetera, and ran through that. And, um, you know, some agents immediately swarmed out there, had barricades in their hand to kind of block the car. And then she zipped around and, and, and got away. Uh, from them, and there was a chase that ensued. This, her name was Miriam Carey. And the problem, you know, you can understand, though, that, you know, when you have a car that could be loaded with explosives, that's why they have a foregate before the actual gate. You've really got to stop these cars uh, because of the fact we've had, uh, you know, suicide bombers, you know, going to the Marine barracks and trucks loaded with explosives. So this is a very dangerous thing. So I can understand the response with highly armed SWAT teams, etc. But what really happened was the fact that, uh, well, first of all, the, the media stated that uh, the woman was shot when she got out of the car. Later, the police found that there was a, a small child in the car, and they took him to protectors. But this isn't what happened at all. In Wolf Blitzer's situation room on CNN, he's interviewing a very credible professional woman witness uh, right across the street who saw the whole thing happen, and she clearly states, she saw the police open, stop the car, open the door, pull out the child, and rush to safety. And then the mother came out of the car, and they just let loose and blasted her. Her face was not even recognizable from all the, the bullets that they pumped into her body. It was just a volley of automatic weapon fire from many different. And it was just absolutely unnecessary. And what's you know, what's problematic, Richard, about this is the virtual silence of the media. There's no uproar. I mean, this was on CNN. This was Wolf Blitzer, who's supposed, and he's done no follow-up from this. The press has asked no questions. It's just disappeared. This should be a major scandal. So what's going on, Joel? What, 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 what's happening here? Well, what this does indicate to me is that, first of all, uh, and, and I, I frankly can't understand why they would do that. I mean, clearly when a woman gets out, It'd be different if she had a big overcoat that looked like she had a, an explosive vest on it. Here's that she's dressed in normal, you know, tank top that's tight to the body. There's no explosives there. There's no reason to pull the trigger. She's got her hands up. 
you know, why do you blast this woman? So somebody either trigger happy starts in and everybody else starts. You know, these are a SWAT team mentality. This is a military mentality here. Everybody opens fire. There's no leadership there controlling this situation. And all of a sudden there's a cover-up. And, uh, and this tells you something. When the media in lockstep is completely silent about this killing uh, and the unexplainable and, you know, there's a cover-up. Somebody's called all the media and said, don't ever talk about this again. And everybody's in lockstep with it. Well, I mean, this is what's happening. Joel, uh, uh, you've probably seen these rumors floating around uh, uh, on, in, in certain online publications uh, trying to connect this child, uh, this one-year-old baby, to President Obama. Uh, and apparently, Obama was in Connecticut uh, addressing, I, I'm not sure if it was a graduating class, and uh, had s- supposedly, the story goes, had some emergency dental work done in the very office where this woman was working as a dental hygienist. Uh, and, and these are the rumors, and, you know, I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not giving them any, you know, credibility here. I'm just saying that this is what's floating out there, and I'm wondering if you've heard these and, and what your thoughts are. Well, I don't have any way of corroborating those rumors, and that's the problem with a lot of these things that come out of the alternative media. Uh, even if, you know, I assume they're, they're assuming that this was a, a child by Obama or somehow... This is a love yeah. child, and, and the, yeah. you know, to cover it up, the, the mother was targeted for assassination. I'm just, I'm just reporting on what's being yeah, the, the problem, floating out there. The problem with that is that you would have to have recognizable information that this was the, the woman. That it might well be why she's showing up in the White House. I mean, that's a very good reason, you know. She has tried to get in touch with the president or not. And, but, you know, she would have to be recognized and... Um, and then someone would have had a telephone in, this woman has to be eliminated. It's possible. I mean, one of the problems that I have, though, is that, you know, Obama is, um, you know, a noted homosexual. I'm just not sure, you know, how um, dedicated he would be to try to, you know, father uh, or at least uh, deal with women in that regard. Uh, so I don't think we're ever going to know, but this is certainly plausible. Uh, they do these kinds of things all the time to protect the president. Look at Vince Foster. I don't think Clinton gave the order to, to kill Vince Foster. He was a good friend of his. He set up his secret Swiss bank accounts. Uh, he knew too much. He was getting cold feet. He might have talked to Congress. I think his uh, Clinton handlers said, we're getting rid of Foster. All right. Got to take a time out. Um, if I could just beg your indulgence and keep you for a little bit longer, Joel, on the other side. All right. Appreciate it. Joel Skousen, World Affairs Brief. Back with more in a moment. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, just a couple more minutes uh, with Joel Skousen. I wanted to keep you on, Joel, just because I, I had uh, someone called in and wanted to speak to you. And uh, let's get to uh, Kyla in Toronto. Kyla, welcome. Hi, Richard. Hi, Joel. Um, this is the first time I've ever heard about that chemical warfare on the Syria residents being mentioned that it was falsified. That's never in mainstream media. Do you think it ever will be? And how come I never seem to hear anything about Syria in mainstream news anymore? They just don't seem to talk about Syria anymore in mainstream news. Like, how come? Yeah, we've sort of addressed, you know, why we're not hearing about it, because, you know, Syria is complying with this order to decommission its chemical weapons. But as to 
why we haven't heard that the allegations that the Syrian forces were responsible for the chemical attack haven't been proven. Joe, I'll let you handle that one. Well, the Russians have satellite imagery about the trajectory of the so-called uh, rocket. There was actually more than one chemical uh, um, shipped in uh, to the rebels. We have documentation uh, through a British uh, filmmaker, interviewer of uh, Syrian rebels talking about receiving chemical weapons from the Saudi Arabians. That never made the mainstream press in, in, in the West. Uh, neither did the Russian evidence uh, these rockets came from areas that the U.S. says uh, were under control of the Syrian army, and the Syrian army says, no, we don't have absolute control of those areas. There are also rebels in that area, uh, and they could have launched the rocket as well. The, the point is, the U.S. has never made their case, and Assad made, said this in interviews. He said, show me the evidence, because the, the Germans, uh, Der Spiegel, uh, came out claiming we have all the proof. And it says, show me the proof. The U.S. hasn't shown me the proof. They haven't shown the world any proof. And Der Spiegel didn't have the proof. They just said, well, the U.S. claims they have it. Well, show it to me. They don't have proof. A we, lot of supposition. We also had a, a U.N. report back in May confirming that uh, these insurgents had used chemical agents in, uh, was it Aleppo in May? That's right. There have been two other incidents where we've already, where the U.N. came to the conclusion that these were done by the rebels. And so, uh, you know, there is, but what happened several weeks ago when the U.S. made this is, you know, we know that, the Syrian government did this. You know, this is this is not disputable. We know, we know. And every time they open, says since Assad has attacked his own people, since Assad has done this, and and this is just a campaign of statements, of positive statements, indicative that are absolutely false and uh, that are unprovable. And uh, you know, I've asked the question of the world: Why would Assad, knowing that the U.S. is just looking for an excuse to attack, hand it to them? By authorizing, and for what military advantage? In the middle of a bunch of civilians to launch a, a, a minor chemical rocket? I mean, what would that even prove? Versus bullets, versus mortar shells? Nothing at all. No military tactician would use uh, chemical weapons in those things. Only on battlefields where you have a mass of, of enemy troops without any civilians around and you use gas to incapacitate. That's when you use it. You don't use it in guerrilla warfare. Nobody buys into that. Uh, Joel, once again, how do we subscribe to World Affairs Brief? Well, people can go to worldaffairsbrief.com and uh, click on the subscribe button. They should get a free sample copy first, though, to see what I do provide um, each week, Friday when my analysis comes out. They can get that free sample copy by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. Joel, always a pleasure. Thank you for this. Appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Goodbye. Joel Skousen, World Affairs uh, Brief. All right. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the uh, the program, uh, as I made my way into the studio, uh, before I was accosted by a four-legged <laughs> uh, growling creature. Uh, if you missed that, yeah, there was a, a dog wandering around in here and uh, belonged to someone in the building, got out of a studio, I guess, where he had, was uh, working, and uh, I... Walking on my walking down to the studio, and all of a sudden I hear this growling behind me. I turn around, and there's this dog. Anyway, but before that, I, I dropped into the uh, the mail room, and uh, I just wanted to take a few moments to share some letters and things. First of all, I always uh, it's, it's, I've been away for a couple of weeks. Of course, last week was Thanksgiving. Victor Vigiani, thank you once again for uh, filling in. Great interview with uh, Linda Moulton Howe, uh, and um, 
also a great uh, great program Victor did on uh, GMOs. Now, uh, so the you know the mail piles up, and got this letter. I wanted to share this with you. I'm not going to mention any names or numbers. Uh, this is Richard. My name is blank. Call me. Gives the phone number. This is a cell phone, but it's a pay-as-you-go monthly FIDO card, so unfortunately I can't talk long on it. If you can call from a landline, then I can call you back from a landline. Less chance of being recorded or overheard. I have a story that is bigger than Edward Snowden's expose. In fact, it's the biggest story of all, of all time up to now. Snowden reported or exposed only a symptom of the real evil, and I'm a little surprised no one but a few realize what's going on and about to happen. This involves all seven billion citizens of Earth. Also, I'm not looking for notoriety in any way. Uh, I'll bet Snowden wishes he had done his story in a more subversive, anonymous fashion. It's that serious, although many won't believe it. But it can be nothing else at this date in history. All right, so rest assured, uh, dear letter writer, I will be calling you back on a secure line. Uh, then I received this. Uh, to whom it may concern, Mr. Serrett. Hello, sir. My name is blank. And I recently found, or sorry, I recently read an article off the internet about your show about extremely low frequency, or ELF. And I believe I'm a, a victim. After j- doing some research, I discovered information that relates to myself, uh, to myself, such as groin shocks, involuntary muscle movements, such as my back, feet, arms, legs, thighs, and my buttocks. I also hear voices through my ceilings and walls. It's like someone is controlling my mind. I believe all electronics buzz my um, ear, such as radios at at home, my television. Uh, If I walk by a stop sign, sometimes it actually will send a buzz through my ears. It's like I've been programmed just for the negative. My television has a constant ring, but if I turn it off, it stops. When I want to say something in my mind, I feel like it doesn't want to say what I'm thinking of. It erases it and goes back to what it's programmed to do. I've seen, I even saw red lasers flash through vehicles I've been riding in. If not bad enough, I have a control buzz in my ear all, a constant buzz in my ear all day. It even uh, goes to the point where I believe my dreams are being controlled. I have even found homemade devices around my house, even looked into my TV box outside where we, where sick, um, we, sorry, it's a little difficult to read this writing. I, I looked at uh, homemade devices around my house, even looked into my TV box outside. We have six people in the house. No one put it there. It looked like some homemade antenna. Even more crazy, I used to take a, a certain route to the store, and I dis, uh, dis, something homemade discovered homemade antennas placed uh, by magnets on a couple light poles. They were never there, then all of a sudden appeared. My route was where I was walking, but no other street lights have Anyway, it goes on and on for several... Th- this person claiming to be a victim of electronic harassment. And uh, uh, season one and two of The Conspiracy Show are in uh, repeats on uh, Vision TV across the country. And I always... I don't get a, a chance to watch it uh, as much, you know. So I always know that what episode is airing when the letters start coming and the emails. And someone will reference one of the episodes. And then I say, ah, that must have been on TV last night. So uh, obviously, recently... The uh, electronic harassment episode has aired, and I've been receiving, um, it must be a dozen emails now in the last week and a half uh, or two, including one from an emergency room uh, doctor, also claiming to be a victim of electronic harassment. And uh, obviously one has to be mindful that uh, people 
um, you know, can be delusional, can be uh, mentally ill, and so forth. Um, but I, I sincerely believe that there is something going on. When you hear from this many people on a constant basis, and I've, and I've met these people and spoken to them and met with them in their, ho- their homes and talked to them face-to-face, and no, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a, uh, a psychologist. I, I, I'm not able to, you know, diagnose mental illnesses. But all I can say is, as a human being, and looking into their eyes and listening to them, uh, I believe that they are sincere and genuine and not mentally ill. Something is going on. Uh, we'll, um, we'll have to do another show on that um, soon. Anyway, I will be in contact with these individuals. I also want to do, uh, this just arrived in the, uh, the mail as well, uh, a, a new book by our good friend Nick Redfern, For Nobody's Eyes Only, Missing Government Files and Hidden Archives that Document the Truth Behind the Most Enduring Conspiracy Theories. Uh, Nick, uh, if you don't know, uh, is a, a very fine writer. He's a, um, a British citizen who now resides in Texas and uh, covers the UFO beat and uh, and uh, much, much more. And this is his latest, For Nobody's Eyes Only. So uh, we've, put, we've put the call in to Nick to get him on the show, but the book has arrived. And then, haven't heard from Frank Joseph in a while, sort of a real-life Indiana Jones uh, explorer, writes about uh, ancient America pre, pre-Columbus, and uh, his new book is The Lost Colonies of Ancient America, a comprehensive guide to the pre-Columbian visitors that really discovered America. One of my favorite quotes from Frank Joseph when talking about uh, the history of pre-Columbian uh, America is, uh, he says, Columbus wasn't first, he was last. Uh, so we'll put the call into Frank Joseph as well. Try to get him up, uh, get him on the uh, the program. Uh, coming up uh, shortly in the uh, coming weeks, we'll get back into our JFK series with James D. Eugenio. Uh, he'll be here the first uh, week of November, the first and second week of November, as we continue along commemorating the 50th anniversary. Uh, of uh, JFK, and we'll go full bore in the month of November, of course, the uh, the 22nd being the 50th anniversary. So James D. Eugenio, the first and second week uh, of November, and then uh, I believe it's uh, the third week of November, we'll, uh, we'll bring in Jim Mars, Nelson Thal, and James Fetzer, three top uh, Kennedy uh, assassination researchers in the uh, the first hour of the program. Jim Mars, of course... Uh, the author of uh, Crossfire, that was the book that sort of served as the blueprint for Oliver Stone's movie JFK, and Jim Far, Jim uh, Mars was a, uh, a consultant on the film. And uh, very quickly, a, a great uh, memory that I have, my first time in uh, Dallas, in Daly Plaza, and I had arranged earlier, or later in the day rather, to meet with Jim at his home in, in uh, just outside Dallas uh, for the TV show, to interview him for the TV show. Uh, I had my cell phone with me, and I'm walking uh, just past the um, the Texas uh, Book Depository building, and the phone rings, and it's Jim Mars. And I said, oh, Jim, what a coincidence. Yes, uh, I'm confirmed. I'll, I'll be at your place at 4 o'clock. I'm just in Dealey Plaza right now. And uh, then over the phone, Jim gives me this wonderful guided tour of Dealey Plaza. He says, okay, stop where you are right now. Look over your shoulder. Do you see the window on the sixth floor? Look at the tree in front of it. Uh, that tree was exactly the same height in 1963. There's no way Oswald could have shot. Anyway, he, he, go, he went on and on and on, and I'm walking along. He, he's pointing over the phone all these amazing uh, facts about Dealey Plaza. If you're going to get a, a, a guided tour of Dealey Plaza, you know, Jim Mars is the guy to give it. Uh, anyway, listen, uh, the website, 
richardserrett.com, as always, is your portal to The Conspiracy Show. I've posted some uh, interesting stories up there, uh, including, uh, well, for those of you who are um, uh, techies, you may be surprised or uh, uh, disheartened to learn that your D-Link router on your internet, uh, your D-Link router is what uh, provides you know the wireless internet. Is that right, Tim? Your D-Link router may have a back door. NSA-inspired paranoia within the hacker community about the pervasiveness of the government's power to compromise equipment may be bearing real fruit. A curious computer security professional published findings on Saturday that deconstructed the firmware code for some D-Link router services and discovered a backdoor built directly into the code. By changing the user agent in a web browser, then they go on to give you the... the uh, the uh, the user agent uh, name, a, a user could bypass the security on the device and get online or control the higher functions of the router. 410-meter asteroid may collide with planet Earth in 2032. Those are just a couple of the uh, stories I've posted at richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, and as always, follow the truth.